0: uh, We we live today in a very strange time, uh, strange environment. Uh, Most people are just scratching their heads as to what's going on around us. And uh, for too long, uh, the Twin Cities has seemed to be in the the center of a real mess that we have on our hands. Uh, In some cases, the the things that we're addressing, okay, are, are, are need to be addressed. But in other cases, the way we're going about it says something about human nature and the ruler of this age that I think we can't let go uh, get by us. I've I've seen this more and more. This idea or mentality has been growing. Some people believe this as an axiom. Many believe that all human beings are good at heart, that they they mean well. Um, Increasingly, many teach, even in religious circles, that the human conscience again of every human being is wired with an innate sense of morality we all know what is right and wrong intuitively instinctively and it doesn't need to be taught or um, or monitored in that respect thus one does not need a higher authority this is the this is the ultimate of that kind of mentality if you can determine for yourself if all of us can do understand for ourselves intuitively what is morally correct to do. We don't need a higher authority to either explain or enforce the difference between right and wrong, the difference between good and evil. We all know what we should do, so we just need help and encouragement to do it. This is part of the mentality behind the the concept of defunding the police, and all efforts to do that over the past year or so are are showing that that's an extremely uh, ineffective uh, a mentality or a focus. Um, most believe, in when, you, when this is talked about and in, in discussed in psychological cir- circles about morality, to be morally correct or morally right, one only needs, number one, the personal strength of will to make the right choice, the moral choice, and secondarily, be free from what is called motivational infirmity. Motivational sickness, motivational distortion. And it literally that's referring to any malicious intent that's caused by distress, trauma as a child, uh, persecution or oppression, or something that puts you in a situation where you want to uh, make a choice to protect or defend versus do what you know to be right. And if those things can be fixed, if everybody can be given the strength of will, and uh, be cleared of any motivational infirmity, then everybody would be living morally. So the equation looks like this. Strength of will plus, call it inner peace, equals moral behavior. That sounds intuitively correct. So much so that many adherents to this view are actually professing Christians. See, this, this view then reaches the conclusion that laws are ineffective. They are ineffectual efforts to codify morality, putting everybody in a a structure that is forcing morality when individuals should be made or given the opportunity to make their own moral choices because everybody's good at heart. Um, And this is causing uh, big problems. Adherence to this view see laws. As overly rigid regulatory efforts to impose moral behavior, and from without, from without, from outside, not encouraging moral behavior or um, strengthening an, abil- an individual's ability to make their own moral choices. <clears throat> so then, the real the real problem, which is weakness and brokenness within, is actually hindered by uh, codified morality, the structure that everyone is trying to be forced into. And then religious beliefs, cultural background, uh, ethnic origin, all these things that would contribute to someone's unique idea of morality are totally ignored. So we're moving away from the structure of law uh, more to allowing individuals to make their own choices with respect to their own individual moral code. Again, this effectively subjects all law to private moral interpretation, which then leads people to increasingly act without regard for law. We're we're seeing this all around us. Citizens don't obey the law, don't feel they have to, feel by their own moral standards they can decide which laws to keep and which ones not to. Police officers do not enforce the law anymore, and in fact, those who try are considered rigid and uh, unfair and are oftentimes punished for it. Judges in courts don't even uphold the law anymore. They are seemingly allowed to choose which laws they will uphold and which ones they will not. Again, even many Christian professors, those who profess Christianity, disavow the law. We're not we're not keepers of the law. That's the three quarters of the Bible that we threw out. That's that's Old Testament stuff. All right. So now because. Christ has freed us from keeping the law. The law doesn't matter. We followed our own moral code, and they think it's influenced by the Spirit and so on. But it's not, this is not described this way in the scriptures. You see, the Bible calls this lawlessness. And it doesn't speak very well of it, <laughs> lawlessness. It is based in blinding human pride. And it was prophesied by Christ to proliferate in the end time. Look at Matthew 24 and verse 12 here. If you're wondering why it's expanding so much, this mindset is pushed by universities, think tanks, school systems all over the place, religions themselves, and it continues to grow. Matthew 24:12, Christ said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. There are actually many in professing Christianity who will say, oh, I'm not so much about keeping the law. I'm I'm just focusing on love. But they don't make the connection that the Bible makes between the two. Increasing lawlessness, Christ said, abates love, hinders love, pushes love aside. But this is, again, missed by many today. <clears throat> this message today is the 11th one in our series on the mysteries of God. Uh, mysteries that can only be known and understood by God's revelation. Uh, the first message that we gave was an overview on those mysteries, and we've covered 10 before this. Uh, we've discussed the mysteries of God Himself, His will, His wisdom, His Christ. The mystery of the kingdom of God, the mystery of the faith, the mystery of marriage, the institution of marriage, and the mystery of godliness. That was our last one. With each of these, <clears throat> we've learned how special these revelations are of these mysteries and why so few understand them and aspire to live by them, even by those who profess to keep and follow the scriptures. Again, today, we review review number 10 of the total of 14 mysteries in the New Testament and this 11th message on it. Today we'll review the mystery of lawlessness. Lawlessness. We'll look at it in two ways. Um, God, God made humans in his image, but we must be careful not to confuse human future potential with current human nature we'll look at this aspect of lawlessness and its revelation from those two perspectives in this message first let's talk about current human nature what causes it what what are what is the the source and and the cause of all the problems that we see in humanity today and then secondarily we will look at that future human potential because in this context of the this discussion on lawlessness we'll see how they're connected again job Job 12 and verse 8, you can just write these down. Job 12, verse 8, also 1 Corinthians chapter 2, discusses this concept, this idea that God created a spirit in humans. This is not the spirit uh, that God and Jesus Christ share. This is not the the spirit of, of the spiritual ruler of this age. It is a unique individual spirit that is in every human being. Uh, And just as our physical bodies are subject to physical elements, so is the spirit in man, the spirit in every human being, subject to spiritual influence. Good from God and Jesus Christ, uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ, and also bad from the spiritual ruler of this age. Since Eden, humanity has shown itself incapable of keeping the deceptive spiritual ruler of this age out of our thoughts out of our intentions, out of our judgments, and out of our passions. These are the four descriptors of the biblical heart. What we think, uh, what we intend to do, our will, uh, what judgments we make with respect to our conscience, and our passions, what we, what we strive for, what we, what we want, what we pursue with passion. Satan influences all of those. But that's not understood or recognized by many today. It seems that the concept they have of Satan is this this funny little guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork that kids dress up for for Halloween. Like he doesn't exist. He's not real. Bible says he's incredibly real and rules in this age. We can't forget that. Satan's broadcast as we read in, you can just write this verse down to Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. He's called the prince of the power of the air. His broadcast is so much more influential than any distress that can cause motivational infirmity. There certainly is a sickness within the spirit of man in this age, and it's placed there by Satan, and we need to understand that, which is why laws in this day and age ruling over human nature, influenced by Satan, are so important. Without God's spirit leading us into all truth, which is what Adam and Eve denied and what every human being has denied ever since, the human spirit has nothing to deter the lawless influence of Satan, the devil. This is why we're seeing the evils in the world today. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this about the human heart. The heart is deceitful. Where does that come from? The deceiving ruler of this age? Above all things, it's deceitful and desperately wicked where does the wickedness come from where is that spiritual influence coming from jeremiah goes on to say who can know it in verse 10 right after that he said that only is understood by god so so to understand even what's going on in our own heart we need god's revelation he knows what's going on in a human heart better than even those who have that heart romans 8 and verse 7 is the other uh, descriptor in the scripture of human nature it says because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is enmity against God how did that happen what put God's own offspring his creation made in his own image what caused them to be God's adversary or for them to see God as their adversary it is the adversary the ruler of this age because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. That's a choice. That, that desire not to be subject to God's law is a choice that every individual human makes. And then it goes on to say, nor indeed can be. It is incapable of it. Choice has already been made. And every one of us has made it. Notice how Paul introduces the concept of this mystery of lawlessness in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 12 here. Paul here is describing uh, the man of sin. And what he is saying here about the mystery of lawlessness is, is said in a reminder, a warning actually, of the man of sin and what was restraining him at that time there's all kinds of speculations as to what this restraint was was it an angel what is was it a a spiritual force was it a physical government but i just want to look at this concept of lawlessness within the context of restraint restraint second thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 12 now brethren concerning the coming of our lord jesus christ and our gathering together to him we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come this is obviously something that those who were trying uh, to create division and strife gain power for themselves over the of the brethren were, were spreading verse three let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first Falling away is not described here by Paul, but when we see references to Hebrews chapter 6, it has largely to do with a casting off of the influence of God's spirit. Someone who falls away from once receiving that spirit, having it working within them, and then rejecting it. He describes that as falling away. Uh, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed." the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now we teach that this is an individual, a person at the end time, related uh, to the Antichrist and related to um, all those prophecies in the end time of the beast and so on. And the, an individual that rises up to lead in that respect. But look at this from the perspective of the mindset. Because isn't this the mindset of everyone who rejects God? Uh, we exalt ourselves above all that is called God. What we want matters more than anything else, regardless of what God says, or regardless of what His law says, um, uh, All that is worship in that respect. so that he sits as God, do we sit as God? When we throw away his word and ignore his spiritual influence, we make ourselves our own God. In the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So even those led by God's spirit within the temple of God, the temple is where God's spirit dwells, can we, if we push out God, the influence of his spirit, his word, and his law, are we doing the same thing, showing that we are choosing ourselves as our own God? do you not remember verse 5 that when I was still with you I told you these things so obviously he he revealed more to the Thessalonians about the aspects relative to the man of sin coming in the end time but he shared with us at least the attitude the mindset that would cultivate and and promote a man of sin Um, and now you know verse 6 what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time so they understood that there was a restraint needed on this mindset, or this attitude, this blinding pride within every human being to make our own choices, to figure out for ourselves what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. We put ourselves in the position of God when we do that, because he's the one that determines, ultimately, what morality is, what laws are in force, what they mean, how, do, how they're supposed to be kept. Verse seven, for the mystery, again, that's the word, Greek word mysterion, as before, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, or some, some commentaries will say it, that now restrains will do so until he or it is taken out of the way. So there was a restraint in place that, that, that regulated this mindset to make our own choices instead of following God's rule, concepts, design, teaching, and so on. This phrase, already at work, is very interesting. It falls in the same mindset of Paul's description in in 1 John 2, also 1 John 4, about the Antichrist. He said there are many Antichrists even now. There are many. Now, there will be an individual, a being, at some point in the future. This prophecy to come and be that individual. But the mindset was there. The attitude was there. And these were individuals that he described himself as those who professed Jesus Christ but did not confess him in their words and their actions and how they lived but they called themselves Christian they had that label they had that they had that name on them but they weren't living up to the name and we we've covered that before I don't want to go into too much detail there but this there was a restraint in place what was that could that have been governmental forces God says in Romans 13 that he works through those governmental forces he says there's no authority except From him, he establishes all authorities. And there's a, there's a comments in there that Paul writes of, if we keep the laws, if we do what is right in, in that governmental authority, we will be blessed by the authority. He'll do that through us. We're not supposed to rebel against it. We're not supposed to make our own laws. We're not supposed to ignore the laws of the land. We're supposed to do our best to submit to them, understand their intent and live by their intent. He he is saying, Paul here, that this is already at work, this mindset of lawlessness, because it dates back to Adam and Eve, the human condition led by Satan, the devil. But again, restrained as under law. We're seeing that being removed now, the restraint of law. And we're watching human nature uh, grow out of control, led by Satan. This word lawlessness that he uses here, described as a mystery, is taken from the Greek word anomia, anomeia, A-N-O-M-I-A. And it's described in, in, uh, by mounds, vines, and others as a state of disregard for law, uh, living absent of law. Now, it doesn't mean that we have no law or that the law is not there. But that we are so easily deceived by our human nature to disregard it. Either by open rejection. I'm not doing that. Or just neglectful undervaluing. I don't really care about what that says. But in our current condition of human nature. Knowing our susceptibility to Satan the devil. Those restraints are necessary. Not, not just as for, from an individual value or perspective but as a societal uh, value as well. Let's look at Romans chapter six here. I wanted to read through, uh, let's, let's read through verse, verse 12 here though, and I'll re- make references back to this later. But stay in 2 Thessalonians 2. Let's begin reading um, verse eight. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one. Again, this is all a reference to uh, anomia. An- anomia itself is the noun. Anomos, A-N-O-M-O-S, is a reference, is, a, is an adjective. So when you see that, that Greek word applied to something else, it's describing something else as lawless. The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. What is prophetic... Is happening now. Right now. It's already at work. But most people don't see it. It's a mystery. They don't understand this mindset. Some don't even know why they do the wrong thing. They just, they just do it. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. He deceives and he's allowed by God for now to deceive, and, but there are others who will not be led by that deception. Verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, we'll talk about this, the effect of the love of the truth and the love that comes from the truth, keeping us from this deception a bit later. Let's go to Romans 6 here. Romans chapter 6, I read verses 15 through 19. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then shall we sin? Shall we violate the laws of God? Because we are not under law, not subject to laws from without, not subject to death anymore because Romans 6 is talking about baptism, the sheet of God's spirit coming into the body of Christ and so on. Is the law done away for us? This is is much of the Christian uh, mantra today. The law is done away because Christ kept it for us. We don't have to keep it anymore. Paul's saying, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? This is not about whether we should obey. This is about what do we obey? Do we obey our own ideas? As some would call them instincts, our, our own uh, wants, our own lusts, knowing that Satan influences those, knowing that the God or the ruler of this age spiritually influences a susceptible mind, whether of sin, sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were, dis, uh, to which you were delivered. Uh, doctrine is teaching teaching laws that are obeyed from the heart this is only possible within those that God has revealed the nature of those laws to their importance that God has granted his spirit that God that God has uh, put on a path to salvation but through repentance through faith through immersion in Christ and through the gift of his spirit Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented yourselves uh, uh, members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, anomia, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. That can't happen by throwing out law having disregard for law. It can't happen through lawlessness. We're supposed to move from that mindset. How do we do that when it's wired into every human being? Though every human spirit is susceptible to lawlessness, apart from God's revelation, it remains concealed, hidden, and unknown. Lawlessness is elusive, it's cunning, it's shadowy. Paul described this in Romans 7, when he talked about this law of sin that ruled his members. In his mind he served the law of God. But his flesh had other ideas. And he talked about the, the spirit within battling the flesh within. That battle that goes on in the mind. That affects what we think about. What choices and decisions we make. And how we weigh them. On what scale. And, and also about our passions and what we will for. What we want. All those have to be measured By the law of God. For those who are spirit led into all truth. And all truth certainly includes God's law. Lawlessness has to be restrained. Either either it's done from without. Preferably it's done from within. Because of our susceptibility to Satan's evil influence. Every uh, human is predisposed to disregard any law that restrains us from getting what we want. Let me repeat that. Because we are all susceptible to Satan's evil influence, even those who have God's spirit within, every human is predisposed to disregard any law that restrains us from getting what we want. That works on highways. What, speed is 55? That's ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying we should all go 55 and it says 55. We all know how that works. In fact, if you're going 55 in the left lane where it says 55, you can actually be ticketed for that. All right? There's this concept of of driving with the flow of traffic. If everybody else is doing 70, you better be doing 70. Or a cop can pull you over and give you a ticket for getting in the way. This 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 is one step toward lawlessness in our society that we have to learn to kind of live with and that's just, a, that's the tip of the iceberg. Go sit, in a, go sit in a class A misdemeanor court sometime and watch the injustice. Just, you, you can get into most of those. You probably can't get into felonies. They're probably guarding those pretty well, but you can go sit in a class A misdemeanor and just watch the way things are done. It's all about expediency, not justice. It's not about metering out right or wrong. It has to do with getting this docket off my desk. It's very sad, but it's getting worse and worse and worse that way. Um, sin flourishes in Anomea. That may sound strange to some because you think Anomea and sin are the same. They're not. They're related, but they're not. Look at 1 John 3 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. This is where we turn. When someone asks the question, what is sin? This is where we turn. And I've we've gone through this before, but in this context, I think it's good to go over this again. First John three verse four. Um, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. The word sin here is translated from the Greek word hamartia, h-a-m-a-r-t-i-a. Hamartia. It means to miss the mark, but it is founded on. Anomia, which is lawlessness, we miss the mark because we are without law. I used I, the last time we talked about this. I used uh, an archer shooting at a target who keeps missing the mark. Well, he's missing the mark because he needs archery lessons. <laughs> he needs to be taught how to shoot a bow and arrow. And when he follows those rules, that coaching, those laws of how to actually do what you're supposed to do, you get a better, much better chance of of hitting the mark hamartia though is a deed it's what you see overtly it's what you say what you do and what others notice about you that will be considered sinful by God's definition and his law it is the act of sin anomia is a practice an anomia I should say it's a custom it's a routine that's wired in us it's a habit and it is the cause of sin it is the foundation of sin Hamartia is exposed by what we do. Anomeia is embedded in who we are. That can be forgiven. That can be overlooked. Sin can be covered. Anomeia, the, the, the wired nature that is in us, Satan's influence, is always going to be there for as long as we're in the flesh. Spirit influences spirit. This is where true repentance has to begin, though. It's not just in recognizing what we're doing. It's in recognizing why we're doing what we're doing. We've got to dig deeper. Repentance needs something deeper to rest upon. Where true repentance begin, begins is a recognition that we must turn from who we are, not just what we do. This is where in Emea, lawlessness comes in. And this is where the depth of our repentance needs to go. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, I read this. Uh, Paul talked about receiving the love of the truth. We've talked about this before as well. This is not just a reference uh, to loving your Bible, loving studying it, loving reading it, loving even applying it. In the process of doing that, having a love for the truth, that produces a love that comes from the truth. I've talked to some of our Greek experts on this, and they say it's the latter one there that Paul is talking about here. That that love that comes from the truth, from reading it, understanding it, practicing it, and so on, it develops the ability to love within us. In Matthew 17, 17, Christ said that God's word is truth. And again, we are to live by every word of God. Matthew 4, 4, Deuteronomy 8, Christ told that. We are to live by every word of God. And again, this certainly includes God's law in fact it is in keeping his law that leads us to love how does that fly in the face of professing Christians who say the law doesn't matter anymore it's done away with Romans 13 10 says this very simply Paul love is the fulfillment of the law so we must fulfill the law to develop and grow in love first Timothy 1 You can turn there if you want. 1 Timothy 1 verses 5 through 7. 1 Timothy 1 verses 5 through 7. I'll read this. Now the purpose, Paul writes to Timothy, the purpose, which is uh, is a, uh, a reference to the conclusion of the law or the result of the law. The purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart. From a good conscience and from sincere faith. These are spiritual issues that define who we are. Uh, He goes on to write, From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Because they have strayed from the commandment, or that focus that the purpose of the commandment is love, they've turned aside to idle talk. Things that don't matter. Desiring to be teachers of the law... Understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. Loving the truth implies a deep desire to live the truth. And that's how love forms. That's how love develops. That's how we become love, as God is love. It has to do with keeping his laws, not doing away with them, and understanding them at the level of the heart where anomia or anomia wants to escape and control us. When commitment to the truth weakens, and we've seen that a lot in our society in the past 50 to 100 years, when commitment to truth weakens, people grow unknowingly more susceptible to the lawlessness of the evil one. And this leads to great suffering, as we've seen. But some of the wisest, brightest minds on the planet can't understand this. And propose solutions that are no solutions. They're not even comparable to a Band-Aid on an open wound. But God will not allow the future potential of every human being to be extinguished in lawlessness. We have to understand that. Human nature is not good at heart. That's what the Bible tells us. But we do have to see that in the context of God's potential for humanity what we are wired to become right now it's being diverted hijacked uh held for ransom by satan the devil our captor in this age but there are some that have been freed who who are given been given the ability to understand this and how to escape and are living for that potential in their human hearts look at titus chapter 2 here titus chapter 2 we'll read verses 11 through 14 Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God, Paul writes, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Though not all men see this. Only those God has enlightened, only those God has revealed it to recognize it and respond to it. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Righteously and godly in the present age. Those are all described by the words of God and his law. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. The word deed there is not in the Greek, though you'll see it in most translations. It simply says anomia, we could read this then as redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. This is, this is the path that we are on but it, we cannot stay on it without addressing Omeya within us. Our susceptibility to evil influence in this age. Spiritual evil influence. Lawlessness is a state or condition From which humanity can be ransomed or brought back from. That's the good news. It is a sincere, it is in the sincere recognition of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that a human heart begins to realize its true potential. And it doesn't lie in lawlessness, it's led in a completely different direction. It is by God's word and spirit that a heart is convicted of the weakness in our flesh our susceptibility to lawlessness and the power of God to deliver us from Satan's spiritual influence toward righteousness, away from his influence of lawlessness. Look, uh, look at Acts chapter 2 here. Um, we probably read through this at some point in and around Pentecost. This is um, Peter's sermon. I want to point out something that he, that he mentions here in his message not just toward his conclusion we always go to his conclusion but we miss this early on about what he says and what he's addressing here and why the individuals who were listening to him at the time were convicted in their heart uh, acts chapter 2 verse 23 acts 2:23 he mentions this concept of lawlessness and him in reference to Christ being delivered by the uh, uh, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of god you have taken By lawless hands. Anomea. That's the word anomea. By lawless hands. And have crucified and put to death. He said that earlier on in the message. Now look at verses 36 and 37. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this. They were cut to the heart. That that inner place, that spiritual place that defines who we are, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were convicted by this. So in the process of who they are spiritually, what their mind and heart was all about, their reasoning changed, no longer dependent upon the evil influence of this age because they saw and recognized what that led them to their, their conscience changed, and they were led to, to, to make decisions within their conscience, choices in their lives under a different scale. What is that scale? We want to know it. We want to understand it. Their will changed because they recognized they had a hand in his death lawless hands. And their passions changed. They were seeking God's change within them, they were seeking God's kingdom. They wanted salvation, they wanted forgiveness. Or what they had contributed to, or simply let happen, lawless hands. Peter's words convicted them to repent, to believe, and to be immersed in Christ and receive God's Spirit. That's a different path than they were on before. In Hebrews 8 and verse 12, Hebrews 8 verse 12. I'll just read this for you. Um, it's actually a. It's actually um, discussing. Uh, the Christ from the framework of of um, the priesthood of uh, um, a, a former priesthood that now remains the priesthood. It's not just uh, under uh, the Old Testament priesthood, but also the new. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, Paul, or I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Some think it was James. I think it was Paul. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins, their hamarteia, and their lawless deeds and, and no mea. This is this is not again a deed or an action, but something that re- resides deep within. I will remember no more. There is this forgiveness out there, God's plan that actually uh, ransoms us back from Satan's hold on our minds and on our hearts. Uh, let's look at Second Corinthians six here. Second Corinthians chapter six. We'll read verses eleven through eighteen. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Remember what lawlessness does? What I want is more important than any law. What I want to do, what I want to become, what I want to have is more important than any law that forbids me from it. Now in return, verse 13, for the same I speak to you as children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Anomea. Lawlessness is the opposite of righteousness, which is keeping the law, living by the law. And what communion or fellowship has light with darkness? So so righteousness and lawlessness are as far apart from one another and as distinct from one another as light is from darkness. And, and, uh, uh, and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So how is it, he's asking, you're being led by the spirit of God into all truth. What part of that allows Satan to manipulate you within to lawless behavior? Verse 16, and what argument, or or agreement actually, has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says uh, the Lord Almighty. Righteousness and lawlessness are like oil and water. There's no mixing of them. Only in turmoil. Only in absolute shaking up and turmoil and restlessness. Righteousness and lawlessness do not mix. God reveals our lawless tendencies as he reveals his goodness to us. We read that in Romans 2. We'll go there in a moment. But as that goodness is revealed, we recognize, we see in a mirror what we're supposed to be, yet we are not. And that's deep down within. It's not just a matter of practice. It's, it's the intent behind the practice that leads us to developing and growing in God's goodness and love. So when we see this, when God shows us the difference between his goodness and our lawless tendencies, we can distinguish between the two and choose light, love, and life over darkness, fear, and death. This is what was convicting those people that heard Peter's message in in uh, Matthew 11 verse 29 Christ also talked about his yoke he said take my yoke upon you walk beside me it's light it's not burdensome when yoked with Christ though we have one direction in life his we cannot also be yoked with those who are not on that path we must make a distinction where is Christ leading us I'm sticking by his side I'm yoked to him Not to anyone else going in a different direction. Whether it's the opposite direction or any other direction. We have to make that choice. And we have to see the difference between lawlessness and darkness. In other words, ignorance of divine things. It's not just a matter of whether God dumps this thinking into your brain and your heart. This has to be pursued. We've got to be studying his word from the standpoint of knowing we have to apply it. Because that's what changes us. Lawlessness and darkness is, can be summarized in ignorance of divine things. Now that could be willful or it could be unintentional. We, led by God's spirit into all truth, cannot be ignorant of divine things. That's what makes us lawless. Uh, it, it is, lawlessness and darkness is the, the condition or direction of all unbelievers. Just as righteousness and light is the condition and direction of all believers righteousness and light knowledge of the truth and the spiritual purity associated with it that's what our lives need to be about knowledge of the truth and how to apply it in love in spiritual sincere heartfelt purity look at romans 2 here i said we go there let's read romans 2 verses 1 through 16 we know paul wrote romans there's so much in Romans in and structure and wording that, that is aligned with Hebrews that a, a study of those two, two books from the standpoint of who wrote them, I think, would convince most that Paul wrote Hebrews. But another, another topic. Romans 2, we'll read verses 1 through 16. Therefore, you are inexcusable, old man. And he, prior to this, he was talking about those who are, refuse to see God in creation and re, refuse to be thankful for what God gave them and, or honor him as God the Creator, and how it led them to complete and other lawlessness and distortion. So when we recognize that, we can't sit there and condemn it. We're condemning that. That's terrible. But we have the same stuff within us. Okay? Remember the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I? Think about what you were like before God changed your mind and worked to help you change your heart. And you'll see yourself in the, the evilness that you're condemning. He tells us not to do that here. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, what, whoever you are who judge or condemn. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, that you who judge those who practice or those practicing such things... And doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, again, reasoning, will, conscience, passions, are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Both of those are laws. The truth is, is the law of God. Right, uh, Indignation, wrath, um, unrighteousness those are the laws of the flesh that warn our members those are the things that satan injects into us if we're not spiritually cautious about what's going into our minds If we're not cautious about what we're doing what we're saying what we're aligning ourselves with that is a different path than christ has us on but those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth this is about obedience to laws but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation this is their reward tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no partiality with God for as many as have sinned without law that's the that is the translated from the Greek word animos uh, the 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 adjective describing their sin without law will also perish animals without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these although not having the law are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between uh, between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Condemnation of others is a futile attempt to impose God's laws on others from without that distracts us from addressing embedded lawlessness in our hearts, our own hearts. God's law can't be imposed on us. It has to be something we choose to keep. But we've been given the ability, the tools, the scriptures, and understanding them, and God's leadership by his spirit into all truth that enables us to do that. In Romans 4, verse 7, Paul wrote, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds, again, an omea, it's not a deed, it's deeper, it's lawlessness, it's human nature. Uh, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins, hamartea, whose sins, whose deeds are covered. Uh, Paul takes that from Psalm 32 and I'd like, to, I'd like to finish with that. It's very encouraging to those whose minds have been open to see this but, but unless we are dealing with it, recognizing it and dealing with it on an ongoing basis, anomia will have its ways within us, anomia, keep mispronouncing that sorry and we can't allow that to happen we follow we follow god we follow his truth we keep his laws we do not allow lawlessness in our lives we can't let that out though we are susceptible to it psalm 32 we'll read the whole thing it's a psalm of david called a contemplation so so, reflection meditation deeply uh, think about these words Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In the Septuagint, uh, the word anomea is used over 70 times in the book of the Psalms. Um, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. Uh, the word that is used in the Greek for transgression is anomeia. Uh, our anomea is forgiven. And it's the word for sin here in the Septuagint Greek version is translated hamarthea, hamarthea. Whose hamartia? those deeds, are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. This word as well, it's, uh, it's the uh, word most often used for sin in the Old Testament, avon, A-V-O-N. But again, in the Septuagint, uh, the word used is hamarthea and in whose spirit is no deceit. So what's going on in the spirit of man within us? Are we pushing out all uh, deceitful influence from the the ruler of this age? Are we seeking the truth in everything we think, in all of our reasoning, in all of our choices and decisions in life, in our very will, the things that we want, and passions, the things things we desperately seek for? There's no deceit in that in an individual whose God is forgiven, of that Anomea within, and the deeds that, that come from that. Verse three, When I kept silent, my bones grew old uh, through my groaning all the day long. Sin within, harboring Animea within us, robs us of peace, and puts us in a situation, what David is describing here, of that distress or fretfulness. Uh, that people think uh, you know once we get rid of that we can live by our instinctive morality that's that's a stretch but describing the, the distress that's going on within us caused by satan the devil and the and the his influence in this age is legitimate verse 4 for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my vitality was turned into the drought of summer Selah. now he uh, it shifts a bit here he says I acknowledge my sin to you to God and my iniquity I have not hidden this is the beginning of that change repentance begins with repentance and then a moving into faith trust in God and then a moving into an immersion with God his way of life through Jesus Christ um, and I said I will confess my transgressions again the word anamea to the Lord and you have forgiven the hamartia of my sin the deeds of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near you or near him. You are my hiding place. This is the next line is, fa- is fascinating. You are my hiding place. You, sh- you shall preserve me from trouble. This word trouble in the Sancino commentary is adversary. Adversary. You shall preserve me from the adversary, our adversary, Satan, the devil. You can surround me with songs of deliverance going on in our minds all the time. Remember, is it Colossians that tells us that we should be singing in our hearts to the Lord almost all the time? The words of the Psalms, the words of songs of praise, changing how our minds think. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. This is that outward constraint that is necessary today because human beings have no idea what Enomea is. They have no idea they're being influenced by an evil spiritual power ruling this planet. That's where the deception is. That mystery goes on and on and on until God chooses to reveal it. And then those to whom it is revealed go through the same transition that, Paul, or that David is describing here and that Paul used in the book of Romans. This transition of repenting from our sins, knowing where they come from. And not just what we've done, from where they generate, from who we are inside, to become a different person entirely. Trusting in God and faith, immersing ourselves in Christ and the word of God, being led by his spirit toward the resurrection and judgment. Those are the basis. That's the basis of Christianity. It's the process of perfection, completion that God has put us on. Um, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. The horse won't come near God, unless a bridle is put on them. But are they coming near to God in heart? Are, are human beings coming near to God in heart simply because they're practicing, doing something on the outside? Stopping certain behaviors without addressing where those behaviors come from within the heart. Verse 10. Many sorrows shall shall be to the wicked. We see that today. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The greater our success against lawlessness, this battle within against lawlessness in the heart... The less our efforts to emulate God will miss the mark. I'll say that again as well. The greater our success against lawlessness in the heart, the less our efforts to emulate God will miss the mark. Yes, the world around us is becoming increasingly more lawless. Uh, but only a few have been given the revelation to understand why this is happening and how to resist it, is in fact our calling at election. Repentant believers who are immersed in Christ and led by his spirit into all truth understand their human proclivity to lawlessness and have been given the tools to address it and the power to overcome it. We have to put them into use, though. To all others, outside of that, lawlessness will remain a mystery.